You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Broken Meeple Show podcast, whatever you want to call it. Uh, who was this? Sunday the 25th of October, the clocks have gone back an hour. I don't feel like they've gone back an hour because I still stayed up an hour later than I normally would, probably wasting my time on YouTube. And yeah, kind of like I still feel as tired as I did the day before, so that's not really changed. Of course, I've got my uh, coffee in order to Help me get through this, and I must admit, I'm going through lots of coffee at the moment, you know, either trying to stay awake for the morning hours or just trying to try out new coffees. But as much as I'm definitely getting into having proper coffee, like whole bean stuff, I still can't really tell the difference between some of these brands. I mean, I've got this one at the moment. Uh, this is the one I'm drinking at the moment, uh, Rave. It's a Rave one, Italian Job Blend. Roast darkest, tastes like dark chocolate and walnut. Does it? I don't know. I mean, I'm not really getting... I can't make out those individual tastes from drinking coffee. So, and, you know, I've got decaf variety as well. I'm using a decadent coffee for my decaf brands. This one's a Ethiopia Sedamo Swiss water decaf blend. I can barely tell the difference between that and the Rave one. I mean, my taste buds probably just aren't finely tuned enough to realize exactly what I should be getting from these. But they still taste good. And at the end of the day, I need to stay awake, so that's half of their thing. But yeah, uh, it's been a stressful working week. Uh, Work is really starting to grate a bit. Uh, Not like, you know, generally, but it's just we're all overworked. We're all under pressure. I've got a massive crunch next week. Uh, The next two weeks are going to be a huge crunch for me with this project I'm on. And, you know, my performance has obviously slipped a bit just because of COVID and... It, well, dealing with dealing with COVID, dealing with restrictions, dealing with you know uh, being like having our hours cut in the first couple of months and having to make up for that, you know, new responsibilities, transitioning to a new system is everything that's just basically being against me in terms of work, and it certainly is starting to really sort of grate on my sanity a bit. But uh, I know lots of other people are in that same boat, and it was made up for by a Q&A session I did on Friday night. Go check out the live stream of that. Uh, the recording is on YouTube, and it was a very fun live stream. It was like two hours long. I think it's going to uh, repeatedly be that kind of length. I, I want to make them quite long because they are done once a month, and it just allows people to come and chat to me about literally anything. And there were some weird questions coming up, some weird quick fire rounds, but also some pretty pertinent and important ones as well. So there was a, a lot to do, and I was glad of it. Right, in terms of the channel, in terms of the updates, we've got some good stuff on the way, but I just want to mention firstly uh, a thank you to everybody because we have reached another milestone. The channel has reached 11 
thousand subscribers literally eleven thousand and five i think it's the last time i checked it's recently just hit that milestone so thank you very much to everybody who subscribes to the channel obviously i don't know how many of those people are just youtube bots i mean like i say that is the thing with youtube you never know who's real and who isn't especially when you do a live stream and like 30 people turn up and it's like where's the other eleven thousand? but it's you know i don't expect eleven thousand people to turn up to a stream but you know what i'm saying it's like the ratio of people to subscribers it's it's, it's kind of weird but i'm more than happy to have subscribers i'm very happy that eleven thousand has been reached let's push on and get to twelve thousand, and then 13 and 14 let's uh make this channel as big as we can uh on top of that i just want to mention a little push on my patreon i know i hate asking for funds and that to help the channel go but i just wanted to be specific with this one because this is a new uh goal that i'm aiming for here we're not far off it i think we're only about 25 odd dollars from the goal uh monthly goal but i need to bring to attention this one um when we get to 200 dollars a month stream yard subscription basically i want to be able to have more people on my live streams also on podcasts i want to do multiple people i want to have guests i want to have people to chat about games top tens that kind of thing and it'll be great the problem is trying to do that on obs is very fiddly it's i mean obs works well from a, a certain point but it's also quite user unfriendly <laughs> let's put it that way and this goal here streamlight subscription basically recently i was on a live cast with uh worthful reviews uh this episode 23 with a special guest the broken meeple i don't think there's anything special about me but there you go uh we were doing all sorts of topics it says top 10 villains in games but we did like guess that game what's on kickstarter recent plays uh under and overrated games you know like me kyle and uh it was there so we did I had a great time funky components and then top 10 villains in games it was long i mean this was like a three hour video live podcast it, it was a huge thing and i don't expect people to watch three hours in one go but i say give it a watch i mean it was good quality we could easily hear each other on the cams we could easily see each other on the cams i'm just using the webcam here and it's 720p this thing goes up max i think um, i think that's the max you can upload to Streamyards. but despite it being a 1080p camera but the picture quality is perfectly clear and it's fine and you know i feel that you know you want to really kind of like use this system i think because it was user friendly for me as a joiner and it looked like it was easy enough for builder i mean you, get, you can get banners you can have uh, multiple you can have screen share you can have multiple cameras on screen this looks perfect for me to be able to do this the problem is subscribing it is at like 25 dollars a month um it's not the cheapest thing in the world if you want those features i don't need the pro subscription i just need the normal subscription but it's still 25 dollars a month so it's you know a bit outside of my overheads at the moment otherwise you know the channel's just keeping up with that at the moment and i could really use the push to get the 200 i, I can't recall exactly where we're at the moment i think we're about 25 off uh, the target literally 25 people at one dollar a month would be enough and like i say i i've said all the time i prefer 1000 people to subscribe at one dollar a month than 10 people at $100 a month because obviously it's harder to maintain that level of income and I hate asking for money from people because you've obviously got your own things to spend it on but $1 a month you wouldn't even notice it you know I, I it's it's one of those like cheap things that's easy to do but if more and more people do those tiny amounts it all adds up and it just creates that fan base so you know if you can please consider doing so it would mean so much to me and if I can reach that goal then brilliant I mean the the 
amount of people I could bring on to these subscriptions, you know, board game ramblings, uh, Ryan and Bethany board games, maybe before you play, you might be interested, maybe Paul Grogan one time, you know, I could get people on the podcast and it would be great and also promote smaller channels i mean i could get the smaller channels on here i already do promo videos for them what what better thing than to have them actually on the podcast so you can get to know them as people that's what i really want to do so if you can please do but of course your choice your money all right take a little drink there all right what else is coming out from the show well this week, the top 10s make a comeback. Yes, the top 10s finally return with the top 10 Ticket to Ride maps. It's been in the works for a while. It's now airing Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't know which day for certain, but at least by latest Wednesday, it will air. And then top 10s will resume maybe on a, a fortnightly basis or something. It depends how easy it is to... It depends how many reviews I've got to do, really. But certainly, I'm going to try and keep them up fairly regularly. And this will be a mixture of pre-recorded top 10s, but also some live top 10s, because I think the top 100 live stream worked quite well with the PowerPoint thing. So I'm going to do a mix of the two. Maybe I'll do sort of more weird topics for the live ones and then do the more mainstream topics for pre-recorded. So we'll see. But yep, they are back and they are here to stay. Other than that, I need to do a review for Dwellings of Eldervale. I've played it to death recently, like, you know, many games, multiplayers and several solo games. Now I'm ready to review it. So that should be good because I know people are expecting the retail release late November and where people are getting their Kickstarter versions. Now I have got the legendary version I will mention my thoughts on the deluxe and legendary things as to whether they're good or not, but my rating will go down to a retail version of the game, all right? I'm not going to review it based on my liking of the legendary version because not everybody will get the legendary version. I will do it from a retail perspective. I know the changes. I know what they added and what they didn't add, so I will at least mention what the changes are, but my rating will be based on the retail edition. But yeah, that should be pretty sweet. Uh, other than that, I believe I also need to do some Seven Wonders comparison videos for the first and second edition. The problem is I've only got cities and the base set. Leaders I was meant to get at the start of October. It got delayed for some reason. So I'm waiting until I think next week when that should arrive. And when it does, I will do the video. I don't want to do the video without leaders because I think... Leaders and Cities is the best way to play Seven Wonders. And I think people are going to want to know what that looks like as a comparison. And if I do it without leaders, I feel that's going to be, um, you know, not fair on you guys. So that's coming in the works. I've also got to do reviews for Search for Planet X and Too Many Bones. Now I am considering for these two, I don't know, Too Many Bones might be a pre-recorded one because of the size of it. But Search for Planet X, I'm thinking I might do a new live review format where I spend 30 minutes and when we're talking 30 minutes like a 30 minute stream no more you know I'm not going to make it like a two hour Q&A thing but where I talk about the game in my detail format so I'm effectively doing a detail review live without editing and people can ask questions about the game and then I can answer those questions as we're talking about it I don't think any other channel does this and if they do let me know because I would like to see some examples but I, I feel that this could be interesting. Now, there is a pro and a con to this, and I've had feedback, and I can understand where everyone's coming from. Pro, it allows me to get more reviews out because a live review requires me to simply get some pictures on PowerPoint uh, or look them up on BoardGameGeek, talk about it, and I'm done. It's done, it's edited, it's already on the system. I don't have to spend two and a half, three hours to edit the video afterwards. But if I do pre-recorded, I've got to spend all that time editing. 
The con, though, is that you've got to stay focused in a review, otherwise people won't watch it. And obviously, a 30-minute review is longer than, say, a 15-, 20-minute review that my pre-recordeds can be. So people want a focused review, so I've got to maintain that focus during a live stream, not to mention that, obviously, it's a bit longer. So what I'm thinking of doing is that the those sort of reviews will be ones on games that aren't as popular, aren't as like the hotness at the moment. Uh, maybe I'll talk about expansions for that, although I was mainly hoping that uh, the podcast would mainly tackle expansions. So yeah, it's something I'm thinking of doing, but I think Search for Planet X would be a good starting point because I think it's a game that people want to know about, but not everybody. It's not the new hotness. So that should be pretty good. And it's a game I bought out of my own pocket, so it's not like I have a deadline to get the review out. So it should be pretty sweet. But of course, I want you to let me know what that's like. All right, let me know what that's like. Okay, uh, what next, I believe? Let's see. I'm thinking games I've played. Games I've played, yes. Uh, and I'm just going to tweak the volume down a little bit because I think I've got it on max and I think it's peaking a little too much. Uh, just drop that down. Hopefully that's a bit more comfortable for your ears. Okay, sorry about that, guys. Right, uh, games I'm playing. Well, I finally got the Shadow Paths expansion. Yes, in fact, let me just grab the box. Ooh. Here we go. Shadowed Paths. I've got it. I finally got it. I've got some more Lord of the Rings content. Yay! Oh, yes. Shadow Paths. I made this. I tried to get it in July, but I was too late. I didn't realize how low the stock would be and how popular it would be. So it sold out before I could get it. And I was so... Uh, Bummed out about it, because fantasy flight, you need to sort out your stocks. Bad fantasy flight. Bad. But finally, Board Game Extras in the UK got some stock of it. They might still have some stock left if you want it and you're in the UK or in the EU, because I think uh, Board Game Extras might still post to the EU, but I can't guarantee. Um, I think they do, but obviously postage comes into mind. But if you're in the UK and you want this, look up Board Game Extras, definitely. I don't know if any other shops have got it, but I'm pretty certain the mainstream stuff like Zatu and Chaos Cards and that don't. So definitely look them up because they... What Board Game Extras does is that they're very good for things like sleeves and components and that for games, but they also focus a lot on the LCGs and certain select games. Like, they will always champion certain games. And Lord of the Rings LCG and Lord of the Rings uh, Journeys to Middle-Earth is one of those examples. Yes, I got it. And it basically is a huge expansion where it does another 13 scenario campaign, brings in new monsters. You got the Balrog, you got trolls, some more undead dudes. But uh, scary for me, you got a lot of spiders. You go through Mirkwood, Moria, and various other places like that. And what are they known for? Goblins and spiders. Yes, uh, literally the second you jump in, you're already facing giant spiders. And it's like, oh, I don't want to face spiders. I hate spiders. And I'm going to admit, the models for these spiders are pretty freaky looking. You know, they're quite nasty. I don't like bringing them onto the board, but I like killing them. So <laughs> that's certainly a thing. And there's a big spider in there, a queen one. So it's like, I don't want to face that anytime soon. But yeah, certainly uh, I am definitely up for killing spiders on a regular basis. But, you know, so far I'm, I'm three scenarios in and I'm enjoying it. Uh, literally, I'm not going to spoil storylines, but you start off with a journey map as normal. You go through that, and then instantly it hits you with a tri-branch path. Like Literally, it gives you three choices of how to approach the campaign, and already I feel that my actions in the path I chose, if I'd failed a scenario or, you know, 
maybe only done half a scenario might have like turned me into a different path so this is a campaign that i think is going to be very repeatable and that's a good thing because it's not just the fact that you've got five new characters and you want to try them all with different classes and that but you've now got a campaign that theoretically you could take a very different route and i think that would be pretty sweet so uh yeah i'm definitely uh, enjoying this it's on the table right now finishing one scenario and i look forward to playing it some more so yep definitely and by the way there is a dlc campaign out for this now uh, six pound fifty i think it cost on uh, fantasy flights app and it's a dale campaign i think it's probably undead related and it's another campaign so it's just like the previous one where you dealt with like uh, the hobbit area and that for a bit and yeah so that now means four giant campaigns three of which have got branching choices because i know the first campaign didn't quite that was one floor of it but the other three do but yeah and with all these expansions and stuff they all mix and match so if i play the first campaign i'll have enemies that i face in the shadow paths pop up in there and vice versa so it's great that i got this variety now and ooh, loving it loving it loving it uh i've also got the expansion for terror not terror um it's called terror incognito or something and it's for civilization a new dawn i have yet to play it though because i have to relearn the entire game because it's been so long since i played it so i'm hoping to get that played if i can learn it by wednesday i'll take it to my portsmouth club but yeah um it's going to be a while before i can talk about that one but when i do i will give my first impressions of it on the next podcast episode so uh, that will be two weeks from now so i will definitely try and get it played before then so i can talk about it next time other than that though i mean i'm not going to spoil too much on dwellings of elderbell because i'm doing a review on that but other games i've played uh stockpile has hit the table recently it's been ages since i played it so i had the epic edition on my shelf of shame for a while from kickstarter and i decided to give it a shot in fact yes i really should be uh looking some of these up on board game geek but Let's talk very quickly about Stockpile. Stockpile is a stock market game. Okay, Luke, what gives? Why do you like a stock market game? Well, this is why, because it's not all about companies and dividends and all that. I mean, yeah, dividends feature like in a basic way and it's an economic game, but this is a light economic game. Stockpile is more about the insider trading aspect as opposed to anything else. So the idea is, is that you have uh, these tracks where the companies are shown with their prices they can be the same same across the border they can be different if you flip the board over and what happens is that you bid on these columns of cards that everyone populates in turn order that have the different shares but also some fees you have to pay some other special action cards some are face up some are face down and you bid aggressively as to try and which column you're going to get you take the shares and then each round the stock market moves in various ways based on hidden information there's a set amount of like plus and minuses as well as each company they're shuffled up you get dealt one of each so you know that blue is going to go up free so you're like oh i probably should get some blue shares now that'd be great but then you don't know if the green shares you're holding currently are going to go down but some other player around the table does so everybody's got a little bit of information that they can't disclose and you gotta watch what everyone does bid on the right cards make the right pricing decisions and this is still quite light rules wise it's not a heavy game at all but this one i really enjoy it creates a good dynamic on the group i find that uh, the epic edition includes the expansions which is like really cool as well so you've now got uh you know more of these investors you've got bonds you've got uh dice that you use for the forecast as opposed to just a set amount and it's pretty decent component quality i mean it's basic component quality but i mean it, it works graphic design is nice and easy and it's just 
a very enjoyable game. I've this is one of those underrated games that should deal should get more love. In fact, there's an app for it now. I intend to do a solo play of that at some point, uh, solo mode. So that should be pretty good. Cool, my throat is struggling today. I've done a couple of live streams lately, and the, the throat might just be cutting out. So uh, I think I'll keep the plays limited to that now. And yeah, but yeah, stockpile, really cool. Really enjoy it. Uh, probably an 8 out of 10 for me. It's uh, potential for top 100 material uh, come next year. We shall see. So moving on to the next uh, point of cool. Right. I did a, this is the discussion topic, house rules. I did a little request for, um, is it episode 11, this one? It was episode 10, I'm not sure. But basically, I asked that I was going to discuss house rules. And I wanted people to send in what house rules they use. And I've got a few here that I use. And I just want to talk about some of those house rules and how I think they would affect the game. But house ruling in general, should you do it if you want to? At the end of the day, the game is yours. Do what you want with it. You know, the designer made the game to be this particular way. But chances are there may still be a flaw. There may be something, something in it you don't like, in which case use it. Sometimes they put it as variants in the back of the rule book. Sometimes they just don't even remember it. But there are some really common house rules that people don't even realize we're using. And there's some, some more obscure ones based on your own personal tastes. Should you use a house rule if you uh, are inclined that way, though? I say, why not? I mean, at the end of the day, the um, ooh, say the lights are going out a bit here. Let's move that over and see if we can get some more light on my face. Oop. It's, it's because the uh, lights kind of died outside, the sunlight and that. But uh, yeah, so with that said, you you need to communicate to everybody that these these have been done. Like, if you are using a house rule, tell the group. Because somebody who's played the game before won't know it's coming and may not agree with it. But then I don't want to mislead people who have never played the game, might go out and buy it later, and then have this problem that they buy the game thinking, oh yeah, this is how we played it. And then they read the official rule and it's like, oh, that's not as good. But he taught us this way. Oh, I don't know if I like it as much anymore. Now, granted, they may just simply copy your house rule, but there's no guarantee they will do that. So you do have the problem of possibly putting somebody off their purchase if you're not careful. So, uh, yeah, you, you got to at least tell the group you're doing it. But if you want to use it, do it. If it improves the game for you and makes it an interesting game to play, then I'm sure the designer's not going to care. You bought his game already. <laughs> you like the rest of it. You know, if, if that's the one thing you change to make it perfect for you, then I'm sure the designer is happy that you liked everything else about it. So it's not going to affect anyone negatively, but... People will disagree that some house rules are needed or not, and that's entirely down to personal preference. Uh, you know, really down to personal preference. Just do what you think is right. I am really surprised that the light has died so suddenly. It was bright and sunny literally when I started running this podcast, and all of a sudden, cloud has appeared, and now it looks like post-apocalyptic wasteland out there. It's like, I think we're in for a storm today. We shall see. Oh, well, I'm not going for a run later, that's for certain. Jim, I think it is. But... Yeah, so I just want to go over a few house rules that I had. So I've got some written down and the rest are on this uh, post on screen where I asked on my channel and I'm just going to scroll down those. I'll try to uh, um, mention everybody who gave me one, but let's just mention two of mine first. Very quick, nice and easy, Carcassonne. 
draw at the end of your turn. You'd be surprised to know that in, unless they've changed it in the most recent edition, which I don't think they have, the official rules say draw at the start of your turn to view a tile and to place it down. Why can't you just draw at the end of the turn? Because if you draw at the start of your turn, you've then got to spend time thinking about, oh, what do I want to do? What do I want to do with this? So it's like, ooh, should I do this? Should I do this? And it's like, well, uh, why don't you draw at the end of your turn? It allows you to think before it gets back round to you where it would go. It cuts the downtime dramatically. And it's, there's, there's just no reason to not utilize that aspect anymore. But it is kind of like, Oh, yeah, you know, you'd, you'd think this was like something that really should have been done, like a basic rule, but apparently it's a house rule and everybody pretty much uses it now. There's little to no reason I can think of why you would justify not using it, but, you know, you may get the diehard players who refuse to use a house rule. Sweet, sweet coffee, uh, you know, trying to use it, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way it is. Uh, the second house rule that I've come up with I don't use a lot of house rules. These are like the main two I use, but Tainted Grail. I make a big deal about this one because Tainted Grail is a very fun game. The problem is, is that it has a bit of a World of Warcraft style grind system in it with those men here's because you have to keep them updated every now and again. Otherwise they dissipate and you can't go to locations and you might get corrupted and cursed and all that. But Keeping those things up is a constant chore. They require precious resources that aren't that easy to get hold of. And you basically, by the time you've gathered the resources to update one, you've then got to spend time gathering the resources to go update another. And it's just so painful. On top of that, these men here allow you to traverse the map. If you want to go from one side of the map to the other, you have to do a lot of these i mean an absolute chunk of this like grinding just to get from one side of the map to the other and it's just i hate it i hate it but that's the one problem i have with tainted grail the rest of it i love but i had to figure out how can i improve this to make it easier because the game's already hard enough anyway i mean i play it on easy mode because i want to enjoy the story so how can i make it less grindy the best way to do it each man here updates the locations for where it is and the ring around it, so range one. I say the men here is a range two. So not only does it do the surrounding locations, but it also does the ones surrounding those locations. Now you might think that's too much, but not really. I mean, you're still gonna need at least two, if not three men here to go from the bottom of the map to the top, but then you'll probably need about a similar amount to go from left to right. But you will at least cut in half the amount of grinding that you need to do in the game, and that's a major boost. It's a major boost to the game. I will always use this house rule, and other people have used it as well. And what do you know, Ed? I'm looking outside now, and the heavens just opened. Yes, I mean, it is dark in here. I've got no light. I haven't got the light bulb on. I probably should. I'm not going to bother because I've got a normal light, so that will do unless that goes off. But... Yeah, it, it went dark. I mean, it was like the Elder Gods have arrived. Like, it's like, oh my God, it's Azathoth. Ah! You know, and it kills us. Oh, I don't know, but oh God, that was kind of freaky how dark it just got. I mean, the, my house looks like pitch black at the moment. It's uh, kind of weird. I mean, this is 12 o'clock noon and it looks like it should be nighttime. But, ah well, funky weather for Britain. So let's have a look at some of these other ones. I've got one more on the sheet of paper and then we'll scroll down the list here. So, and I'm going to try and load things up on the screen to at least try and illustrate the game a bit more. But uh, next one up is Arkham Horror, the card game. Arkham Horror, the card game, you know, love it. Really cool. I personally don't need to house rule much in here. However, 
Mr. Andre Tannhauser, I think that's anyway. Andre Tannhauser, I hope that's uh, pronounced right, has come up with an interesting uh, house rule, which I think could work. I think this could be a good official variant. The one problem I have with Arkham Horror, the card game, is the Chaos Bag. The Chaos Bag is a random die element that can just hose you at the worst time, and it feels like it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a problem at times. And whew, hopefully you're not hearing the rain out there, but huh, I like these Cthulhu dice bags that people make. It's really good. In fact, I've got a Cthulhu dice bag, um, token bag, so I really should use it more often. But uh, these tokens, you draw out of the bag as a die. So when you do a skill test, you draw a token. It says minus two, plus one, whatever. Now, there's an auto fail token in there. And I know you need that, but then you might get unlucky and draw that multiple times in a row. And the difficulty of this game is already hard, but the difficulty when you scale it up and down is simply just a case of, oh, well, it's, um, I'm just simply, you know, I've got worse tokens in the bag. And some of those tokens are basically auto fail anyway. I mean, if you can survive a skill test at minus five, then what on earth's going on? But what this guy's come up with is that you do, normally you put the token back in the bag so the distribution doesn't change. He said, what if you don't replace the tokens? That's pretty interesting, actually, because if you did that, you would draw a token out of the bag, resolve it, and then leave it out. And then when the bag runs out, or when there's only so many in the bag, you then put them all back in and shuffle it back up again. That would create some interesting decision space because you'd think I've drawn a ton of the minuses now and the auto fail token, so I should be able to do this next test. So you can tailor your test based on what gamble you're going to make based on what you've drawn out of the bag. If you've drawn a lot of the positive stuff already in the Elder Sign, then you're going to think, oh, I don't know if I can uh, draw anything else out. Now, this can affect the balance in some ways because some people have Elder Sign abilities that need to trigger and stuff. And if you take the Elder Sign out and that's it for another God knows how many tests, then you might have a problem there. I mean, Maybe if you like refreshed it after the first 10 tokens, uh, five tokens, whatever, maybe that would work better. But interestingly, I, that's not a bad rule. I would like to know what people's thoughts are on that one and whether like that could be an official variant, because I think that could make for a really interesting twist. Ah, more to come up. Right. Let's have a look down the page and see what i got Oop, wrong page is that the one there we go so got a bunch of comments although some of them are ones i've replied to so let's have a look if i zoom in to this page a bit how will that look on obs that looks pretty good okay cool so i'm gonna try not to spoil too much so gail wonder wondowski sorry like i say if i mispronounce any of these names my foreign speech is horrendous coinbra my family and I don't like take that or negative player interaction in games, so we house-ruled Coinbird that if a row has four dice in it, then you cannot push someone off to force them to take the lesser reward. It makes the game more enjoyable for us and gives going first a nice advantage. I'd say that going first is already a pretty good advantage anyway, although this will make it slightly even better than that. But this is fine. I'm personally happy with the negative interaction in Coinbird because... It adds a bit of tension, you know, that's kind of part of the game. But I can understand that if you want to reduce that down, you could make that rule. So that even if you don't get the card you want, you at least get a prize. And, you know, that's kind of good. But then, you know, you have to know going in that if you're going to put a low die down on something, there's a chance you won't get the card you want. So there is that, but that is part of the game. But if this is the way you want to play it, then by all means, fine. And for others who think that Coinbrew is a little bit too harsh, then this could be a house rule that you incorporate. 
Vala Hementare, one deck dungeon. I simply ignore the more harder enemies on the first floor of the dungeon and sometimes ignore the easier enemies on the last floor to try and get a more balanced experience. Hmm. I mean, I've not played, I haven't played all of these games, so I can only comment so much. I mean, if this is a case where you can get any kind of enemy on the first, second, and third floor, however this game works, then, yeah, I mean, it makes more sense that you would have the easier enemies to start with so you can build up and get more powerful and then take on the harder ones. That's kind of how it really should work. You know, the Eldritch Horror Mythos deck's a bit like that. You know, I, for some players who are new to the game, I'll build it so that stage one is easy card, stage two is normal, and stage three is harder, so that the game ramps up and up as the game goes on, rather than having stuff that kicks you in the teeth right from the get-go. But yeah, this one is definitely, I think, going to be a personal one for Valor. I've not heard anybody else complain about it, but, uh, you know, it's one way. And I think a lot of these house rules are basically here to make life a little bit easier. I mean, you know, people want to experience the game and enjoy the story and enjoy the time. Some people want the game to punch them in the face repeatedly. I don't. So if there's a way to make the game more enjoyable from a play, like Tainted Grail punches you in the face repeatedly. The grind is just an extra like lemon juice on the wound. I'd like the lemon to be put in my tea, not in my wound. So my house rule just takes that element out. Do do do. Surf Demon. Dark Souls board game. When I play two player with a friend, we always add one or two tolls one or two souls per enemy as the default in the rules isn't enough to even upgrade stats to get better gear this is a perfectly good house rule the experience system in the game is downright broken and i've heard more than one complaint about the dark souls board game i was not a fan myself uh then yeah definitely put something like this in there's another game that has a similar problem actually uh the Shadowrun crossfire deck building game in that one, you go through the run, and sometimes if you fail the run, you have like a way to get out of the run. It's kind of weird. It's a very fiddly game. You know, I wasn't a big fan of how fiddly it was, but it is downright inexcusable how slow the XP gain is it. I mean, you pretty much have to play something like uh, five games just to get like the first upgrade, and that's like the first unlock, in the, no, first upgrade. And these upgrades aren't even that interesting, like, oh, plus one die for this, or plus one card in a round, you know, that kind of thing. But then later on, you have to get more games done just to unlock the slot that you can put a future upgrade in. Horrendously slow. I mean, I want five, you know, it's like five karma or something per thing. I want five karma just for sitting at the table. I haven't even picked up the game yet. I haven't even picked up my hand of cards. Five karma. I want upgrades to come with every game, not every five games, which means that when you play that, nobody's going to stick around that long because it's just far too slow. Sounds like Dark Souls here is a similar deal. I mean, uh, if the default rules don't give you enough time to upgrade stats to get better gear to take on the bosses, well, then what's the point of having an experience system? So I say go for it. Scythe from Brian H. Normally, the game ends immediately after someone places their sixth star. Not if you get the uh, airship expansion. I forget what it was called. Um, it's not Fenris. It's not Invaders from Afar. What was it called? I forget. Um, I better find this out for people because otherwise this will uh, not go down well. It's called Wing Gambit. There we go. Wing Gambit. And it brought in airships, but it also brings in these tiles that influence the end of the game. So uh, if, like, here's an example here. You've got... 
hopefully this is good. Yeah, the first player to place their fifth star, not their sixth, gains money and completes their turn. Continue playing until each player is taking two more turns, and then the factory blows up and then stuff happens. This is an example, but there's other really cool tiles in the Scythe game that can really change up the ending. If the sixth star is a problem for you, then I highly recommend you look this up. But what Brian has done is the house rule allows all players to finish the round after the six star is placed. The player who plays a six star often wins, but at least it gives the other players one last sprint. Okay, yeah, fine. I mean, it's normally instant, so I guess you just play until everyone's had an equal number of turns. That's not a massive difference in the house ruling. I mean, it reduces the tension for the end of the game a little bit, but uh, frankly, this is a pretty minor house rule, so it's not really changing the balance too much, and if it makes it that little bit more enjoyable at the end, but I say do it. All right, next up. Oh, also for Brian and Oh, this is a bit of a red herring. Viticulture two-player. Grande can chump another Grande worker. So you've normally got this Grande worker that can go to a space even if it's occupied. It's not clear to us if this is the way it's supposed to be played, but we do it anyway. I had a look at the rule book before signing up to this podcast, and there is nothing in the rule book that I can see. I mean, don't quote me on this, but this is from my reading it. There's nothing here that says a grande can't go on top of a grande. It, according to the rule set, it said something like uh, a grande work, multiple grande workers can be placed by multiple players on the same space or something to that effect. So, you know, you've been playing it basically by the correct rules there, Brian. So you don't have to worry if somebody puts a grande worker on a space, it's you can happily go there with your own grande worker. And awesome round, wingspan. We find four rounds too short. The game ends too soon before your engine really gets going. So we always add two extra rounds. I kind of disagree with this one, actually. Uh, I mean, the game is already at a decent length for four rounds. If you put five or six rounds in there, even if you reduce the number of actions around, you've got so much going on with your board, it would just make it way too long. Four rounds is adequate. I mean, I don't want the game to take 90 plus minutes. I don't want it to take nearly two hours by adding two more rounds in. That's way too long. Four rounds is perfectly fine. I mean, I can I can end the game with a good 50 to 70% of my board completely filled with birds. It's not too difficult to do that, particularly if you start the game off by focusing on the top row with the food. Because it means that you can get so much food that you can put down tons of birds. But, yeah, I don't agree with this one. I mean, if that's the way you want to play it, fine. Like I say, all of these house rules are your choice, not mine. But, personally, I think Wingspan is perfectly fine as it is. If I was going to house rule anything, maybe have more birds on the face-up display. You know, three birds are face up normally, maybe increase that to five. Have a bit more choice out there. But really, I'm perfectly fine with Wingspan. In fact, did I respond to this one? Uh, yeah, in six rounds, would you not have most of your board fully covered by then? It's like, yep, exactly. And it's like, personally, I just don't see the need to have that. I don't want my whole board covered because I want people to be differentiated in how they play. I want my board to see, oh yeah, I maxed out the top row, but I'm not very good at drawing cards, but then somebody else over there maxed out the drawing cards and isn't good on food. I want that differentiation. David Jackson, Ticket to Ride Europe Edition. We house rule in a two to three player game when my seven-year-old plays that she can use one of the double tracks if the other one is taken. It takes out the one bit of complication that can confuse her. I mean, it doesn't make sense to her why she couldn't go to a place on the board when she can do when playing four players. All right, so it's a rule complexity thing. That the rest of us still playing, that the rest of us playing still abide by it so it doesn't really affect the game. Right, so if I'm reading that correctly, 
two to three player game in Ticket to Ride Europe, you can only use single tracks. You don't get the double routes. So this is essentially a handicap for the adults. The seven-year-old gets to use any track on the board no matter what, and the adults have to stay by the rules. Why not? I mean, kids have got low attention spans at the best of times, and, you know, you want to have good family time, you want them to have good impressions of the games, when they get older, they can understand, oh yeah, this is how we played it with you, now you can play it with the proper rules, and when they're older, they will appreciate that more, personally, do it. If it makes your kid happy, then do it. After all, you want the family time to be good. And I like the fact that the adults stay by that rule as well. So it is basically like a handicap on the adult player so that the kid has more of a chance. Perfectly cool with that. Although, with Ticket to Ride Europe, you've already got the stations. I mean, I don't like the stations. It's another rule complexity. Uh, it's another fiddly rule. And I just don't think that they make that much of a difference points-wise, the sacrifice. But they basically guarantee you get every route in the game because you can simply just pop a station down somewhere. If you've got the stations, I don't see how he's having problem with the double routes <laughs> because, you know, you should be able to make your tickets regardless. But like I say, whatever makes them happy. Castles of Burgundy. Oh, sorry, we're talking about a failed rock. Uh, Castle of the Burgundy 2 player. We put all the tiles out, and once we buy the amount that we are allowed for two, we discard the rest. Our problem with it at two for us is what is was that you could plan for something because there could be a chance you never see the tile you are planning for. How's that work? Sorry, we put all the tiles out, and once we buy the amount that are allowed for two, we discard the rest. So, I mean, I haven't played Castles of Burgundy in so long, obviously, so I don't quite remember how that works. A problem was that you could plan for something because there could be a chance you never see the tile you are planning for. Okay, so you don't latch on to the fact that a tile might come out that you're not expecting. I mean, isn't that kind of half the game? Hard to say. I don't know if that would work or not. Personally, I don't think there's much you can do to Castles of Burgundy to make me enjoy it. I find it boring anyway, but, you know, two player is probably the way to play it. But it's in the house rule, and if it works for you too, then by all means, I can think of a few people that probably would disagree with this one. But uh, for John Wheeler there, go for it. Wingspan, also two-player. If we don't like the cards or they don't work with any of the goals, we draw five more and stick to those. In Isle of Cats, we have a separate part of four cards, and each time we pass the cards, we take one from there, select our two, and discard one. So... I don't know about Isle of Cats because I've not played it, but Wingspan, I mean, this is essentially sounding like a mulligan system. And fine. I mean, if you... I, I have no problem with a mulligan system. I might even incorporate that in my future games of Wingspan, actually. I might say, you know, here's your goal... I mean, you already get to pick from two goal cards, but yeah, you don't necessarily always get five birds you want. So, yeah, I might incorporate that, actually. I might just say, right, here's your hand of five birds. If you don't like that hand of five birds, you are allowed to... I, I mean, I will either say that you can discard and draw, or you can scrap all five and take a new set of five. I'm probably going to say that I would... I mean, he says he draws five more and sticks to those. So you get a second chance. I'm possibly going to go with a discard and draw, but I don't know. I'm, I mean, maybe it'd be easier to say just scrap the five because there's plenty of birds in the game now. I mean, we've got another expansion coming any day. So, you know, it's going to be enough birds. But yeah, I kind of like that rule. Some people do say, oh, I had cards at the start that didn't work with my goals. Fine, put in a mulligan system. This might be one I might actually copy. And that's it for those house rules. Right, okay, so I mean, you know, that's, in fact, that's probably good timing because we're on to uh, three quarters of an hour, but yeah. So that's just a sort of general rundown of some 
house rules that people have used and i think i will copy that wingspan one uh the arkham horror lcg one was certainly interesting couple there i don't know much more about like burgundy and isle of cats and i don't agree with some of the other wingspan ones and i find that some of these are essentially a case of we want to make the experience game better which i can always go with or we might we want to make the game a little less take that or a bit easier on the eye i'm perfectly fine with that i mean i like the uh um a good example of this is in journeys of middle earth actually um try and see if i can find the article that talks about it but whoop, there we go adventure mode i always thought that one problem with journeys in middle earth was that it was a bit too like tough like it was really in your face but what essentially happened here was let's see if you can see that on the screen yep good basically you were last year december time they introduced an, an adventure mode so when you select a difficulty normally it was normal and hard i can't imagine why you would play this game on hard i mean it's already hard anyway i don't want it to be that punishing i mean there's nothing worse than getting to the end of a campaign of 10 to 12 games and then getting beat on but oh well but I would like to be able to at least succeed in the campaign or succeed, but with a lesser victory, if that makes sense. I, I, that's what I would prefer. But anyway, what you can now do is you have an adventure mode. So what the problem was, was that you are so under time pressure in this game in order to get from A to B. So you can never explore everything. You can never get into the story as much as you would. But what happens with uh adventure mode is that well in the normal mode when it adds threat every turn unexplored areas add on to the threat which is annoying because you might go and explore an area to get rid of the token and then suddenly it expands it with another three unexplored areas and suddenly they all add to the threat it's a pain and i must admit i'm doing the shadow path campaign on normal because I just want to test it out for difficulty rating to see if it's a bit more balanced than other ones. But after this one, I may just stick to adventure mode because there's plenty enough replay value in the game as it is. And adventure mode, what it does is it basically gives you an inspiration every round, which is good because sometimes you can end up in a situation where you've got no inspiration at all and it really hurts your ability to do any tests. So it makes that a little bit easier. But then I would also, I mean, you could always house rule that you don't get the inspiration because the app tells you to get an inspiration, but you can happily just say, no, I don't, you know, if you think it's too easy. But it basically means that you don't increase threat for unexplored areas. So it gives you more time to go to various interact tokens and go, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. Oh, I found this cool thing here and I found this cool thing here. So yeah, it makes the game slightly easier, but I don't think it makes it like a cakewalk. There are some people that claim the game is a bit of a cakewalk. I personally think they're playing it wrong if they think it's a cakewalk, you know, I mean, on adventure mode, maybe, but if they're playing this on normal mode and they think it's an absolute cakewalk, there's got to be something they're doing wrong, or maybe they found some unbeatable combo of characters. I mean, there are people who take this game a bit too far and go, oh, well, if you use these two or three characters and then go up in these uh experience trees but then at this point switch to this tree, you can combo these cards and it makes for a ridiculous, powerful thing then fine they're enjoying the game that way but i'm not looking into the game in that much detail to create those combos i literally take whatever the suggested class is and go with it i've never deviated from the suggested class and gear yet i mean i haven't played the game enough times all the way through to facilitate doing that uh, you know i don't want to suddenly go against what the app is telling me as a suggested start but you know some people have done and by all means do it you know if that's the if you've played it enough times you want to but i mean the campaigns are long enough that i think I haven't got the time to play it that often that I can do that sort of thing. So 
yeah, there's some things there, but this is an example of making the game easier. And I think adventure mode was a good addition to the game because it's allowing people to experience the story and enjoy the game without feeling like the game is punching them in the face. You know, there is that. So yeah, there is some cool stuff there, house rules wise, you know, let me know in the comments. Uh, do you have any other house rules that you incorporate? Let me know in the comments. Do you, uh, do you think house rules are a good thing or a bad thing? Did somebody, uh, oh, wait. In fact, bonus house rule for you before I go, La Havre. I forgot about La Havre. I house rule that you pay one franc per loan interest because the game says one franc no matter how many loans. Way too low. People can exploit that loan system to such an extent that you can basically just pile on loan after loan after loan, get such an acceleration at the start of the game, and then because you've got that acceleration, paying them off at the end of the game is no problem and you still win on points by massive margin. Not a good rule. House ruling that it's one franc per loan, though, fixes it completely because then suddenly debt is actually a bad thing like debt should be. It should not be your crutch to do well in the game. Loans should be a bad thing that you don't want to take, you know, in an economic game. It's like kind of weird. But uh, yeah, that's a little bonus one for you. So with nearly 50 minutes on the clock, I'm going to sign off there. So like I said, if you can, please check out the Patreon and help me get to that uh, next goal for subscribing to StreamYards. It would be great to have more people on the channel to talk about anything related to games. Even Q&A sessions would be good with multiple people. Uh, but obviously, just take care. Have fun. It's brightened up outside already. I mean, not sun-wise, but we've gone from sunny day to dark, post-apocalyptic, to stormy, to now overcast with some sun trying to peek through. It's like, it was a bit of a freak storm, and just coincidentally when I want to record, as always. But, uh, yeah, well, that's just the nature of UK weather. So, take care, stay safe, hope you're, um, you know, if you're choosing to stay in, and I hope you're staying sane, if you are like me and decide to go back to a bit of normality, then I hope you're at least taking precautions while you do so, but at least you're hopefully enjoying yourself, getting some games played, and I will see you soon. So, take care, until next time, remember, it's only a game, and I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple video. Take care, everyone.